0: Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Laurie McGraw. Today, I am speaking with Carla Smith. Now, you probably know that name, Carla Smith. Today, she is the founder of Carla Smith Health, where she's a health sector strategic growth consultant, and she serves her clients as a thought leader and a truth teller. But the reason you probably know Carla Smith is because for quite some time, she was the executive vice president of HIMSS. During her tenure there, she grew HIMSS to be a thought-leading, instrumental organization more than just a large conference and she worked with leaders across the entire healthcare sector in North America. And today she's going to talk to us about what's going on in healthcare because a lot has changed. Carla, I'm delighted to be speaking with you today.
1: Oh, Lori, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: All right. Well, Carla, we've known each other a long time. You know, before it was cool to focus on women in healthcare tech, you were sort of a leader there. You were a leader there, um, really creating some forums uh, during hymns, which I really appreciated. But I always start inspiring women with, you know, what are you doing right now? What is Carla Smith Health all about? And what's your day to day look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lori, thanks so much. So, my day to day, as you mentioned, I'm a strategist focused entirely on the health sector and because like you I've been in this sector for more than 30 years now I'm able to work with a wide variety of companies with provider organizations payers life sciences private equity startups the whole gamut and I focus entirely on the strategy around helping companies grow and I focus on helping companies grow because it matters. It matters to make healthcare better. And that's what gets me up and out of bed every morning and excited to be working with my clients.
0: Well, I think that's right. I mean, growth is uh, growth is important. It's exciting, and it certainly comes with its you know heartaches and heartburn. Um, but Carla, I think about your entire career as always being the face of hymns for so many years. But I know that you you, know, you weren't there the entire time. So maybe give us a little bit of the career bio sketch. So you were in association management. You've been you've done tech writing. You, so you've been in tech, I believe, the pretty much the majority or all of your career. But where did it start for you?
1: Sure. So I have, uh, I started my career in advertising. And I was a writer. And my very first encounter with with technology was in the banking industry. I was part of an advertising agency that was introducing ATMs. Oh, boy. (laughs) To their to their customers. And at that time, People had never heard of ATMs, they didn't know they needed an ATM, and my job was to help create the understanding among banking customers of what that technology could do for them and how it could transform their lives. I moved from, from that kind of technology and into the automotive technology area, and I focused on helping foundational companies in a state's economy understand how they needed to acquire and implement technology that could help them remain relevant in a very fast-moving automotive sector. This was the time of Edwards Deming and total quality improvement and just-in-time manufacturing, and you needed technology. And from that area, that's when I moved into healthcare, and that's where I found my niche of understanding the importance and the power that technology could bring, if done well, to clinicians and the patients they serve.
0: Those are some really great backgrounds, you know, for healthcare. You know, I think about ATMs and now younger listeners could never even imagine not having, you know, cash dispensing machines wherever you <laughs> needed. Or I don't even know if people use cash anymore, honestly, but exactly. I, I remember when there weren't ATMs traveling, you know, back in my early twenties across country and had my first bank card that worked as a, um, you know, ATM card and it didn't work back then. And so it was just getting started. And so that was really, Revolution makes it so interesting. Like, why aren't we connected in healthcare today? Which you obviously know a lot about. So, let's talk about healthcare. So, there has been so much change over the 30 years, most certainly with both technology adoption as well as technology and innovation explosion. What's the state of play, Carla? What are you seeing? What's exciting? What do you think the state of the industry is right now? Are we in a bubble? Is it going to slow down? I'm interested in your perspectives there.
1: Sure. So today versus, Lori, what you and I were just talking about of, of 30 years ago, uh, it, it's an entirely different world for health tech. Today, there are so many professionals working in the field that are digital natives, and that is a profound and powerful change in the entire health sector. And there continue to be some real challenges as you well know. For example, there is a lack of affordable broadband for many Americans. It's, it's not a handful. It's a significant issue. And those types of gaps in our health system are the place where you can often see the bolus of costs and inappropriate care, lack of care, et cetera, that become challenging. Another massive challenge that I see is the brain drain. There is a worrisome exodus out of healthcare among our uh, deeply needed clinician community and CEOs who are exhausted, overwhelmed, burned out, and they're moving away. Those types of challenges across the health sector are deeply concerning and a place where technology done well could at least begin to mitigate some of those realities that we're dealing with. I tend to see the world as the glass is half full, and I work with many young companies in health tech, and some of the ideas that they are coming up with and getting funding for are really wonderful innovations. The trick is finding room for innovation while you are simultaneously dealing with the optimization challenges, workflow challenges of the technology that you already acquired.
0: So uh, th- that's really interesting. So let's maybe talk about the um, the younger companies because one of the things that I find just so uh, energizing is things that I experienced working in healthcare tech over the years that were complicated and difficult connectivity, doing interfaces, integrating with different um, electronic health records. When I speak to younger entrepreneurs, those are those aren't even issues. Those are those are just oh by the way, yes, we can do this and we can do it, you know, XYZ. Um, out faster and better than anyone else. So Mm -hmm. is that optimism warranted? What surprises you about young entrepreneurs today?
1: Okay, a couple couple, couple of questions there. Um, Like you, I hear that refrain frequently of, oh yeah, we got this. It's not even, they they don't even want to land on that topic. They think that it is simple. You and I both know it is not simple. It is a profound challenge. So I work with, like you, work with young entrepreneurs who are open-minded and help them understand the complexities and the realities that they're going to be facing when they get beyond their first or their second pilot. And I don't spend much time with those individuals whose minds are closed and who present with arrogance versus openness to learning. Because you and I both know, Lori, this problem is not simple and it's not easy to solve.
0: What's some of the most exciting things that you're seeing today, you know, from from newer companies that you might be working with?
1: So I'm very intrigued uh, by the AI. I think that that's a a fascinating and exciting new opportunity. I also have concerns about it. for example, implicit bias that gets baked into the AI, um, uh, utilizing data that uh, was created on patient populations that lack diversity, and then putting that knowledge into the AI. Th- those kinds of things concern me, but back to open-mindedness among uh, companies that are at the younger end of the scale, being aware of that and taking steps to mitigate those types of challenges continues to keep me optimistic about the use of AI in healthcare.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important topic. And what's what's positive about it is that the diversity and implicit bias that um, people need to focus on is a mainstream con- conversation. It's not an oh by the way um, thing. And so people like you who are continuing to press on that issue with um, the companies that you work with is just, you know, has to um, have a uh, helpful um, impact on those innovations. So so Carla, let's move a little bit more. To- to you. And, you know, as a leader in healthcare, and in particular, you know, during your time as the EVP of HIMSS, when technology and healthcare was absolutely exploding, there's no question that that was a, you know, it was a man's world, certainly at the time, the number of women leaders in tech, you know, minus a few standouts, um, but they were fewer, um, fewer than they are now. And so I'm just curious about, you know, how, first of all, you know, what's your perspective today? How did you manage during that time did, did you even notice a gender difference or um was it was it not part of you know what you thought about day-to-day when you were working um you know during the hymns era
1: sure so Lori, i have spent uh, and, and i'm sure you can relate to this as, as your listeners can as well i have spent many years and countless meetings being the only woman in the room and that, for me, for a long time, was the norm. And I have a never and an always statement of, of how I would approach those. My never statement is, it never occurred to me that I wasn't an equal. And my always statement is, I was always prepared. And those two things have been tremendous assets for me in, in my voice being heard in meetings and that I was a meaningful contributor to whatever the initiative or the effort or the discussion was that, it was, that was underway.
0: Yeah, I think those that's a, a great sort of set of principles to live by, and the you know not having this as an obstacle, you know, in the forefront of your thinking, but always being prepared. I mean, that's just just for many many successful women talk about that in terms of being something that was important to them as they also progressed in their careers. When you were at Hims, Carla, it was important to you. You um to support other women in tech. You created a number of the foundational mm-hmm programs back then. So so can you talk about that in terms of what were the programs that you created and how were they helpful in um, changing the landscape for women in healthcare tech?
1: Yeah, sure. So I was interested for quite a number of years in starting a, a women's initiative within health tech and within Hims, And the answer was always no. When I went to say, Hey, how about if we do this? And what I finally decided to do is I stopped asking permission. I just did it. And I, I didn't have budget for it. I didn't need budget. I just started with something very, very simple of sending out some invitations and inviting women to come in. and, And we would begin to build those kinds of uh, networking relationships and, and supporting each other. And it was such a positive that then I was able to demonstrate the benefit to the organization of having such an initiative and got the budget to actually build it and to put some meat on the bones and turned it into quite a prestigious award that's granted, continues to be granted annually of recognizing women with demonstrable excellence that uh, others look to with respect.
0: Well, it's important work, and you know, you know, kudos and congratulations for creating it way back then. It's been a sort of mainstay of um, healthcare tech over the years. Maybe let's talk about networking. So many women talk about net, uh, again successful, accomplished women talk about their networks as being something that was particularly valuable um, to them. And when I speak to younger women, you know, when they talk about networking, it's not as thoughtful perhaps in terms of how they. They go about it so how do you think about networking both the importance and how do you um, do that is it strategic for you or is it just naturally happened because you're good at talking um, to people and meeting others
1: great question so so I have two I have at least two responses to that for me it it's an area where I have a natural affinity and I didn't consciously, Think about the trajectory. That being said, Lori, I absolutely do have some recommendations of how women can think about this and build their network. The the first set is is to consciously put yourself out there and get involved. Find the, the associations, the groups that fit for you and volunteer and start to do the work because that is a great way to begin to build networking circles. Through those types of efforts, you, be, you can begin to learn what are the types of individual that are most beneficial to you in building the career trajectory that you're seeking. And then you that allows you to think more strategically of, all right, These are the types of volunteer activities I'm going to get involved in. These are the types of events that I'm going to make sure that I show up to, and I'm going to put myself out there and have the conversations. Once you've established those two steps, then we move into the third step, which is the champion. Now you're at a level where you know how to network you know how to build the right communities, you know the right groups to be involved with, you know the right events to be attending. What you're looking for now are champions. You don't want mentors anymore because you know what you want. What you want are champions. The people who will turn the key in the lock, the people who will make the phone call, the people who will send the emails, activating those champions is that third stage of helping you get to where you want to be. And all of those together create this beautiful networking experience.
0: That's such a great roadmap. That's really specific and helpful, Carla. All right. Well, I want to you know do a little uh, exercise with you, a little fun exercise. Since you did grow up in technology, since you have spent the years there, since you were one of few women leaders, um, and while you always considered yourself, you never considered yourself anything other than an equal and were always prepared as your strategies, I wanted to just uh, talk about probably some scenarios I imagine you've encountered. And then specifically, how do you deal with those things? Because they still do, I'm certain, happen um, today and just curious as how you might deal with them. So here we go. Just give you a couple examples. So you're in a, you're in a room and you're in, um, you know, one of these tables with a lot of powerful people around the table and you have, you know, the one very loud, very uber, overly confident voice at the table who is talking, 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 but you're, you're, you don't have the ability, you don't have the ability to speak. How do you, deal with that
1: situation? Sure. Of course, I can. Ever had (laughs) had that happen? (laughs) How how many examples I can think of in that? Um, in, In my experience, I find that type of individual, that type is very telling. That type, in my experience, tends to lack depth of knowledge. And when he pauses to take a breath, because at some point he's got to take a breath, take a sip of water, that's an opportunity for me to interject, not loudly. You don't have to speak loudly. You do need to speak with authority and confidence. And again, back to the being prepared and know your facts. And if it's necessary to rebut, that's the time to rebut. On the other hand, the individual may have some excellent points. So give give credit where credit is due and then build upon the right things that that uber confident uh, talker is saying.
0: Okay. Here's another one. How have you dealt with when you're being talked over, interrupted and talked over common experience for still accomplished women?
1: Absolutely. And I will tell you it, it, it the most recent example that i have is only four years old i was invited i'll give you the specific example i was invited to um one of the top consulting firms in the nation the household name they had recognized amongst themselves that they were a group of all white men and so they invited me in as one of a of, of a couple a handful of people that they were inviting in with a potential to um, add me as a senior advisor to help, in, to help diversify their thought processes, the, the way that they strategically approached the healthcare business. When I walked into that room and sat down, it took about a very few minutes for me to recognize this group was not ready. <laughs> they didn't want to diversify. They liked being themselves. They wanted to just be in the room with other people who spoke and thought and looked like them and had similar backgrounds. And at that point, and I just use this as an example, Lori, at that point for all of us as women, we have to do calculus in our heads. We have to decide, is the win worth the fight to be heard? If the win is worth the fight, then stand tall. Do not allow yourself to be dismissed. Keep talking when somebody tries to start talking over you. You know, put your hand on the table and say, I'm sorry, give me a second. I'm not done yet. Because in, the, in your mind, you've done the calculus. If it's not worth the win, then, then use your self-confidence to just Maintain your presence in the room.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of that mental calculus of sort of being in those situations and then determining whether now is the time to be aggressive about what you want to say or not, because, you know, you get labeled in a certain way. That's not, you know, something that's desirable based on whatever the situation is. I think that's really smart advice. I appreciate that, Carla. Let's maybe look at more a landscape question. So, you know, today, here we are, 2022. What do you think the landscape looks like for women in tech? Um, you know, it's evolving. There's attention on it. Um, are we making the progress? Are you optimistic? Curious there.
1: I think that I think the environment is tough for women. I am dismayed by where we are. Um, let, let's let's just talk about percentages for a minute. So, 80% of healthcare decisions are made by, and these are all evidence-based percentages. of decisions made are made by women in healthcare. 76% of full-time jobs in the health sector are held by women. 30% of healthcare C-suite teams have at least one woman. That means 70% don't even have a single woman. And 15% of provider and payer healthcare organizations are led by women. We also have clear evidence that companies perform better. They out, uh, companies with diverse mem- uh, leadership teams outperform non-diverse leadership teams. And yet, we're still spending too much time talking the talk instead of walking the walk. There is too much comfort among, particularly among white men who continue to say, oh yes, we need diversity, but diversity is so hard to actually accomplish. It wears people out and they lose their momentum and you end up with the status quo. The other thing I'm dismayed about Lori is when I look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and compensation levels. Women are not making the progress that I had hoped that they would make. And I'll give you a specific example. Um, four years ago, when Hims did uh, um, uh, the last compensation study before before I moved on from Hims, what we found was that women had lost ground from the first compensation study that i did for him 15 years prior to that so for those reasons lori i'm concerned and yet at the same time with women like you and other leaders in the field and fantastic women coming into the field more than half of the stem students today are female and Of those half of them are coming into the health sector, I still have a tremendous amount of hope that we can turn this around.
0: And I think the hope um, you know coming with actions you know the networking you know playbook that you just outlined for listeners and pulling people forward and particularly you know the younger folks who don't hopefully you know feel these gender differences as both you and I did um, in the earlier days um, will be helpful so I agree with that and you're seeing the same statistic that I too share a concern about Carla so I appreciate you bringing those up let's close out on a couple things Things here in the conversation. Who inspires you, Carla? Who inspires you today? I mean, you you inspire so many others, but who do
1: you look to? I look to men and women who created change when change was hard. And that can be men and women at the family level and men and women at the macro level. Change is really difficult. And when somebody powers through, my spirit soars. And so those are the type of people that truly inspire me.
0: Great. Carla, as we close out and inspiring women today, any last closing advice you want to leave listeners with?
1: Never give up. Always keep trying. It's worth it. Healthcare matters.
0: It matters a lot. This has been an excellent inspiring women conversation. I have been speaking with Carla Smith and Carla. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Lori. Been an honor.
0: This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.